What constitutes COVID-19 exposure and when to quarantine versus isolate? We're going to sort through some of that maze of public health information, the uh, overload and overlap, I'll call it. This is Mark Bashore, and this is Fire Rescue One's Chiefs Four. When facing any emergency, more often than not, we're typically complaining about needing more information. I think it's safe to say during this emergency while navigating COVID-19, we are in information overload. Add to the overload, the overlap. That is the potentially conflicting directives resulting in amongst, uh, for example, the first declared federal public health emergency followed by the federal state of emergency followed by individual state declarations, orders, and resolutions. The overload can cause us to become desensitized to the news and miss important information, while the overlap can produce conflicting orders across health and emergency management disciplines. In this edition, we'll sort through the overload and overlap to provide fire and EMS personnel some common sense guidance about key terminology, exposures, diagnosis, isolation, quarantine, lockdown, and shelter in place. Exposure versus diagnosis. When considering diagnosis versus exposure, the diagnosis element is the simpler of the two. A diagnosis is determined using a qualified test as verified by a medical professional and or the agency responsible in your area. For my department, that is the State Department of Health. If someone has been diagnosed with COVID-19, they should receive directions from a medical professional guiding their next move, whether there's quarantine or medical surveillance. What constitutes exposure, on the other hand, differs from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. For my department, our risk management office makes the determination announcing that for workers' compensation purposes, an exposure is defined as being involved with someone who has a positive diagnosis. Simple, right? Mm, Not so simple. What's not so simple is who's doing the testing to produce the diagnosis, who's providing the information back to EMS or fire, and how it's being communicated if it's being communicated at all. It is easy to understand exposure from the declaration of a workers' compensation claim, yet much more difficult to execute for isolation and quarantine decisions in the field. We have seen the two extremes, departments that are immediately taking entire shifts out of service when there's been an exposure, even without confirmation, and departments that have crews continuing to provide service after exposure if they're not exhibiting signs and symptoms, which, by the way, they wouldn't for five or more days. If you put crews out of service for every sniffle or 100.4 degree temperature, you'll run out of responders pretty quickly. That being said, it is critical that crew members protect themselves. In my department, if you've handled a patient who meets all the testing criteria and the hospital tests that patient, our people must have worn eye, mouth, nose, gown, and hand protection all the way through decontamination, or they are likely to be quarantined or isolated under the patient until the patient's test results come back. A full face shield should help protect the ears as well. Should a suspected exposure occur, the ranking firefighter or paramedic on scene has directions to immediately contact the on-duty battalion chief, who will make contact with emergency management, who will immediately contact the health department, The health department will work with that unit and the local hospitals to determine the next steps. Such steps for internal notification will vary by jurisdiction. One county to my north, for example, 
uh, there or personnel uh, at a suspected exposure are directed to immediately contact the on-duty infectious control or safety officer, who will then follow a different set of steps for notifications. Much like we weigh the decision to enter a burning building, we must work with our medical professionals to weigh the degree of exposure. In Highlands County, our decision on provider exposure weighs two factors. One, the level of provider PPE in use from patient contact through decontamination, and two, the determination of COVID-19 testing by a physician at a receiving facility. That test, no test decision, is being made very quickly. A full protected provider will not be quarantined or isolated. An unprotected provider who was within six feet of a productive coughing patient who was being tested by the hospital may be quarantined or isolated if they were directly exposed to the cough. That is a call which you'll need to have internal guidance to make. Either way, providers exposed to a patient who is being tested should take their temperature daily and monitor their health following the CDC recommended 14 days. Chiefs and medical directors must establish connections with their hospital and health officials to ensure that they can receive the results of patient tests. Protective measures for both the providers and the organization can then be appropriately measured. Some departments have experienced the unwillingness to share the medical information, leading to a waiting game to watch for signs or symptoms. Our personnel with confirmatory testing is currently at about a three to four day window. While we are making immediate decisions on provider disposition at the hospital setting, the disposition of our providers does not change with a positive patient diagnosis. The key to our decision on provider disposition is most importantly driven by the level of protection the providers are using. What does change at a positive diagnosis is, number one, the understandable angst of the providers and the organization, and number two, provider monitoring by the health department. Providers will be contacted by the health department and will need solid guidance, reassurance, and support from their chiefs and departments while maintaining their confidentiality. This has been a tremendous learning curve, which we continue to learn and critique hourly. Finally, once the disposition of the crew is determined, the transport unit needs decontamination. Get with your local medical chief or director to determine what's right for your membership and your equipment. No matter what your protocol, Please ensure staff is using the proper eye, mouth, nose, gown, and hand PPE throughout the process. Quarantine versus isolation. I've used the terms interchangeably here, so let's talk about it a little bit. We've heard a lot of terms related to what actions people must take if they've been exposed to COVID-19. The CDC defines isolation and quarantine as follows. Isolation. Isolation separates sick people with a contagious disease from people who are not sick. Quarantine. Quarantine separates and restricts the movement of people who were exposed to a contagious disease to see if they become sick. So we all know those terms are being used interchangeably and probably not being used in the actual definition that the CDC uses. We have heard numerous reports of firefighters and EMS personnel being quarantined. The continuing challenge will be the exponential growth of those orders and the effects on households and departments. What we're really describing in these situations is a self-quarantine or a self-isolation model that's not enforceable at the scale it's happening. This differs from an official quarantine order from the government under, quote, lock and key. I describe true quarantine as a function of government, health department, or law enforcement, not an opinion or an option for the masses. 
Isolation, on the other hand, separates sick people from not sick people. The term isolation should be reserved for those who have a diagnosis and are under medical surveillance, not for people who simply had an exposure and are sitting at home. The easiest way to compare quarantine and isolation is to consider quarantine as step one and isolation as step two. At step one, everyone who has been exposed would be held together in a pod until test results come back. Step two would move anyone with a positive test result into a monitored isolation and treatment. I've yet to find a department that is actually able to hold people in that quarantine pod model. Firefighters are being sent home, further complicating and expanding the quarantine to the entire home or residence if they're not able to seclude themselves. I don't have a perfect answer of how to stop that spread, but our ability to properly define the two words and appropriately identify ourselves and the public will go a long way towards public understanding of the true scope of the emergency. Lockdown versus shelter in place. States and locales are issuing various lockdown and shelters in place, and now they're starting to talk about lifting them. At all levels, including federally, shelter in place has typically been used in OSHA, hazardous materials, wildland, and law enforcement search-related community messaging. Shelter in place orders differ from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. However, they generally limit movements to essential trips to food stores, pharmacies, doctor's offices, and gas stations. Community members must pay attention to their local restrictions. We are currently seeing a wave of shelter-in-place orders, again, being put in place and lifted across the country, from localities to statewide orders. The term lockdown is typically used in active assailant situations, not community environmental situations. In a lockdown situation, there's no option to leave the area to which you are confined. I'm not aware of this currently happening as a result of COVID-19, although there are some locales inaccurately using the term lockdown to describe their shelter-in-place or quarantine situations. Communication is key. It has been my experience that public health officials and fire EMS officials communicate very differently. Fire EMS officials are accustomed to providing information and answering questions daily in their communities with a decentralized flow through their local organization or jurisdiction. Public health officials, on the other hand, have a culture that promotes centralized information flow to control one message. We have found time after time that centralized systems communication flow during aggressively fluid situations, especially in this social media information age, slows the output of information to the point that rumors become truth. It is likely the statutory responsibility of public health in your jurisdiction to provide information under the public health emergency. As we should always be doing, we must only provide accurate information to our communities and refer them to the responsible agencies where we are unable to provide accurate information. If you don't have the correct message, don't make it up. Fire and EMS services are being affected by health institution access rules related to the situational orders being provided to them by state and or certifying organizations, a significant amount of which has not been communicated to responding crews. This is slowing access to patients during 911 responses. Reach out now, if not directly to the facilities, then through your emergency management partners to determine what rules are in place that will affect your access to facilities. Shelter-in-place orders do not mean you won't receive 911 calls to facilities. It just means your access to normal facility pre-plans may be out the window, as they say. It will be important for fire and EMS leaders to stay abreast of the rules for access and the movements in your specific areas. Work with your law enforcement, health, and emergency management partners the best that you can to keep lines of communication open. The communities that see you every day trust you. 
So let's do the best we can to help them understand what's going on, once we understand it ourselves, of course. We all need to understand that this is a long-term global public health emergency, not a house fire that's going to be out in 20 minutes. This is Mark Bayshore. That's the way I see it. I'd like to see your view in the comments below. Or you can reach me at mbashoor at lexapol.com, on Twitter at Chief Bashore, through Facebook or my personal email, chiefbashore at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us today. Keep your distance, keep your cover, keep safe, and stay smart. See you next time on Fire Rescue One's Chiefs 4.